That sounded absolutely incredible. Praise God. Thank you so much for singing out so well and giving glory and honor to our, our king. He certainly does uh, de deserve it. Good to see all of you that here this morning, especially those of you who are visiting with us. We want you to know that you are a welcome guest and that if you have any questions about anything that you have seen or heard thus far, certainly feel free to talk to me about it. And if I can give you an answer, I will. And if I can't, Maybe I can direct you to someone that might be able to do that. Anyway, welcome. For those of you who are visiting and are with us online uh, with the live stream, uh, welcome as well. We're glad that you're here with us in spirit. So let me just share with you a few things that are just kind of family business that we have to take care of. As you know, we have our um, church team's check-in, and so if you haven't done that already, you might take just a moment and do that. The reason why we're doing this is that in order for the elders as the shepherds to be accountable for the souls that have been placed under our charge, we just want you to help us in uh, giving us a record of your attendance so that we kind of know what's going on with your life. It's a way of just measuring things for us, and so if you can do that, we would certainly appreciate that. For those of you who are visiting with us, if you could also uh, text in the fact that you are here, that would be a good thing. That way we can send you out um, a, a note that says thank you for uh, attending with us and just to recognize that you are here. And so if you could do that, that would be a great uh, thing. As you know, we just finished up with our preteen camp, and preteen camp this year was an absolute success. The kids up there, they, they absolutely loved being up there and being together with one another. This year, my, one of my granddaughters, Dempsey, this was her first year at camp, and she was telling her mom and, and Nana that it was the best thing that she has ever done, and she's been to Disney World. So, I mean, so that's really pretty special. If she were to probably think about that, she might not be quite that crazy about uh, preteen camp, but she really did like it. So that tells you that, listen, uh, this is for our, our kiddos, and they absolutely love being able to participate in, in that. Let me also remind you, or at least make you aware of the fact that we are starting a new fellowship coffee bar that's back in the fellowship area. And the purpose of that is, is just so that if you can come a half hour before our morning class and just and enjoy each other's company and connect and reconnect with one another, then certainly you're invited to do that, as well as it'll be open a half hour after services. And so you might want to invite a visitor to come back and have a cup of coffee with you and maybe get to know them a little bit better and they, uh, you. It's a self-serve coffee bar. The accoutrements are there, and you can just put whatever you want in your coffee and just enjoy some moments of just fellowshipping with one another. Let me also remind you parents, as well as you uh, uh, children, about our vacation Bible school that is right around the corner on August the 4th through the 7th, and so you need to pre-register for that as soon as, as uh, possible. So I have an announcement uh, for you. In back of the pew, in front of you, there are some hymnals there, or there is a songbook that is there, and I'm not exactly sure where that book is, and so there's like four of those books that have a special reward for a special somebody, so if you'll check out the hymn book in front of you or the songbook in front of you, open it up, you'll find that there is a reward that is there for someone in the audience. So let me ask you, as you kind of look to see if maybe you are one of those fortunate individuals, how many of you have been to Freddy's? Man, I tell you what, I love Freddy's. Freddy's is the home of frozen custard, as well as, you know, it has steak burgers. It is an incredible thing to go to. And one of the things about Freddy's that is just so great are their frozen custard concretes. I mean, they are 
they are incredible. These things, especially on hot days where we've been having high 90s and, and 100s, a frozen custard is just a treat that you want to have uh, going on inside of you. They are fresh, they're creamy, they're vanilla and chocolate custard. You can put different kinds of flavors in it. I was talking to Lori Wheeler about these frozen custard, and I told her that my favorite frozen custard concrete is a Hawaiian. And she said to me, well, what's in a Hawaiian? I says, man, it's this thing is, is to die for. This thing has macadamia nuts in it. And she says, I'm allergic to macadamia nuts. I said, it has coconut in it. She goes, I'm allergic to coconut. I said, well, listen, it also has pineapple in it. She says, I'm allergic to pineapple. I said, oh. She goes, well, I said, well, there's strawberry in it. She goes, I'm not allergic to strawberry. I said, well, then you can go and have yourself a vanilla strawberry frozen custard, and it's going to be a good thing. You're going to absolutely love that thing. And if you don't like that, then you can try this other one, which is like a Snickers kind of frozen custard. She goes, what's in that? I said, well, there's chocolate and there's pecans. I'm allergic to pecans. So that girl, she's allergic to just about everything under the sun. But listen, a frozen custard is, concrete is, like I say, it, it's really good. So let's see, did anyone find those four? If you did, raise them up. If you found one of the four, you guys didn't look very well in your books. There's one. There's another one over here. Hey, there's another one right there. Anyone else over this way? Is there one in here? You guys are not checking your books very well. Okay, how about over this way? Okay, well, listen, there is a frozen custard over there somewhere. <laughs> and there's a frozen custard over here somewhere, and they're mediums, and they are free to you. And so you might want to, there it is right there. So, wow. I can't, I can't believe the teen row is super slow about those kinds of things. Here's a warning about those, here's the warning about a frozen custard. If you eat one of those things, they are super addictive. You'll want to go and buy another one or get another one or get your parents to take you to one. So we've been talking about announcements here, and I just want to kind of extend and talk to you a little bit more about the announcement. As you know, I've started a series last week called The King and His Kingdom. And we began by the angel's announcement of the king of the universe, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, is going to come to us. But he's going to be an unlikely king. He's like any other king that you have ever heard about because when you talk about, about kings, well, they're not born in mangers. They're not born in a back alley manger where the place is fit for animals to be stalled in. Here you have Jesus born in this stable and, and, and Mary takes him and wraps him in swaddling and she lays him in a, a manger and that was his birthplace. So who would have ever thought that the king of the universe, Emmanuel, would come in that fashion, and yet that's the way he came into our world. Imagine what he left behind. He is the king of the universe. He's created all things. He has ever existed as God, and then he decided to put on human flesh and become a man, and to hurt like we hurt, and to suffer as we hurt, and then to become the perfect sacrifice for each and every one of us. Now let's move forward about 30 years, and now 30 years later, he has grown in wisdom, and he's grown in stature, and in favor with both God and man, and now he is a full-grown man, and as a full-grown man, as he begins to come into his ministry and into his own, there's going to be another announcement. And so this morning's lesson is called the announcement of the king. 
Because when you talk about the announcing of, of kings, well, how do you view that happening in your mind? In our world today, when we think of announcing a king, it has to do with opulence. It has to do with wealth. It has to do with royalty. It has to do with all those kinds of things. And so as the rightful king of the, uh, of the universe and the savior of mankind, you would think that in that sense, he would come in his king or in his kingdom and that he would be introduced with extravagant parties, ornate feasts, of, of public spectacles of his wealth and opulence. Everyone would be admiring who he is. You would think that that's how a king would be introduced to the world who would save the world from their sins, but you would be wrong about that. In fact, it's really no surprise that God doesn't always do things the way we think things ought to be done. And so when he announces the king, he doesn't announce him with any kind of uh, extravagant party. There are no ornate feasts. There are no big spectacles or any of those things. In fact, God decides to introduce the king of kings with one of his uh, relatives. In fact, he is senior to Jesus by only about six months and he is his his cousin and he's going to come on the scene and he's going to be wearing camel hair as a, a garment and he's going to have around him a leather belt and for his food he's going to be eating locust and and wild honey and he's going to come with just a very simple message but it's going to be a profound message and it's going to be a message that is designed to get the nation's attention and to bring them to awareness of that something drastically is about to happen and a great change is coming on the scene when it comes down to the kingdom and he begins his message with this repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand even Jesus, as he enters into his ministry, that's going to become his mantra as well. That's going to become his message to repent, to make a change, to turn from the way you are going to the way God said you should be going because I am the king and the kingdom is near, it is at hand. And when you think of the kingdom being near or at hand, you're not thinking about a thousand years from now or two thousand years from that time. You're talking about something that is at hand. It is near, it is soon to come. And so that becomes his message, and it becomes, really, it becomes really good news for everyone because Jesus is the king of the universe. He's going to be the king of the world. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and he offers the abundant life to all who would follow after him. And every single person on the face of the planet is invited into that kingdom. It starts out by saying, in those days, John the Baptist come preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who spoke to the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. He's, of course, quoting from Isaiah, the 40th chapter and verse with 600 years that, he, that Isaiah said, there is one that is going to come who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. The Messiah King is on the way, and he has come to do that. And so Matthew said, in those days, John came with this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he says, and that is what the prophet Isaiah had talked about. So this is not an afterthought. This is something that God had planned way long ago of how this king was going to come on the scene and how he is going to be announced through his cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist is this extraordinary character. 
There is something extraordinary about who he is as well as his announcement. Because his announcement really is consistent with what the Old Testament prophets said concerning the Messiah King that was to come and who would establish his kingdom or this new kingdom that would be different from any other kingdom. This kingdom has nothing to do with thrones in the earthly sense of the word. This kingdom has nothing to do with borders or territory. This kingdom has nothing to do with great armies or military strength or power. This is going to be a completely different kind of kingdom that is to come. And that's what John is going to introduce. And that's what Jesus is going to, be, uh, going to bring about. An example of a number of passages that speak about this coming kingdom, one is found over in Isaiah, the ninth chapter, verses 6 through 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Just listen to what it says here. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now listen to verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. He's going to do it with zeal, but it says here is a kingdom that is coming. A child is going to be born. We saw that last week. And he is going to sit on the throne of David, but it's not a literal throne. It is a spiritual throne that he is going to that he is going to uh, come into. And so he's going to be a king in, the, in every sense of the word. Now, when you talk about that kind of king, you have what you would call good news and bad news that John had to say to them. It was good news in that the arrival of the kingdom was near. It was bad news because this kingdom is not what they had expected. In fact, for most Jews, when they thought about the kingdom, they didn't think about the kingdom in terms of spirituality. They thought about the Messiah kingdom as one that would overthrow all corrupt kingdoms that had been oppressive to them. And so their minds probably went to the Greeks who spent time oppressing of them through the Maccabees and, and onward. They're going to be thinking about the Romans who presently were uh, oppressing them, but not just them. They were oppressed the whole world. They were a powerful nation, but to Jerusalem or to the Jews, they took exception to that fact because they're God's people and now they're being oppressed by this foreign people, this foreign army. And so they thought that the Messiah is going to come into the world, this king is going to come into the world, and he would raise up an army and an empire that would do away with those others. And that's still true even today. A couple of years ago when I was over in Israel, I was talking to Esfi, who was one of our uh, tour guides, and I was asking him about the Messiah. And they said that the Messiah, when he appears, that he is to appear on the east side of the Kidron Valley, up around where they do a lot of burials, the Mount of Olive, Olivet, that the Messiah would appear there. And so I asked him, so Esfi, what, what does the Messiah look like to you people? What is the Messiah supposed to be? Because obviously... You don't accept Jesus as the Messiah or as the king, so what is he supposed to look like? And you know what his answer was? We don't know. We don't know what he's supposed to look like. That tells me that when Jesus came on the scene, he didn't fit what they thought a king was supposed to look like or a Messiah was supposed to look like. And so even today, they're still looking for that Messiah 
king. But that's not any different than even today. There are even those today in Christendom who believe that Jesus will come a second time and will establish an earthly geopolitical kingdom that will overthrow all worldly kings. They believe that. They believe that Jesus came into the world, the purpose of him coming into the world was to establish his king, but the people rejected him as king, and because they rejected him as king, he established the church instead, and later on, he will come, and then he will come and make his kingdom uh, an earthly kingdom, and he'll reign for a thousand years, and he'll do so from Jerusalem. That's what they believe. The only problem with that is over in John, the sixth chapter, there Jesus, after he had fed the 5,000, the people, remember, there says that they wanted to make him a king. So they were rejecting him. We want to make you a king. As he made his triumphal entry, they're interested in making him a king, but he rejected it because he was not that kind of a king. He's a different kind of king. And the fact of the matter is, is that his kingdom is already established. A couple of passages for you to, to consider. I'll be talking about more about this in later lessons. But look at Colossians, the first chapter. Speaking to the Colossians, he's going to talk to them about the impact that Jesus has had on the world. And here in this section of Scripture, he is going to deal with this idea of a kingdom. It begins actually in verses 3 down through 14, but in, in terms of time, let me just share with you verses 12 and 13 of Colossians chapter 1. There it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to what? The kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is telling these Colossians as he's writing to them that, listen, we have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we have been placed into the kingdom of his beloved Son where we find redemption. In the very last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, as John begins to write, beginning in, starting in verse 6 here, he says this about Christians. He says, and he has made us, that's Christians, to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He has dominion, and he says, we have been made a kingdom. The church has been made a kingdom. Christians have been part of, made a part of a kingdom. And not only that, we have made, become priests that offer our sacrifices to God. Look at verse 9 as John talks about his circumstance. He says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and what? And kingdom and perseverance where you are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John, as he writes here in Revelation, he says, I was on the island of Patmos. I was in tribulation, as you know, and I'm in the kingdom. So the kingdom was not something that was down the line thousands of years, but it was a present reality. It had already come near, and he was a part of that kingdom. And so Jesus' kingdom really is not about earthly thrones or geographical borders or, or armies or anything like that. The kingdom of Jesus is about overthrowing the sin that is in our lives and him taking his rightful place of the throne of our hearts. That's what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is something that is within you. It abides within you. 
And it has to do with redemption, and it has to do with a king who rules over your life as king of kings and lord of lords. That's what the kingdom is about. It's not about borders, geographically speaking. It's not about literal thrones. It's not about armies. It's about him being king of our lives. And so the message from John the Baptist was consistent for, for everyone. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it's the same message that we proclaim to this day. We still talk about the kingdom being a part of our lives, or certainly uh, should be. And that there is an urgency of becoming a citizen of that kingdom because that's where salvation is found. And so it's, it's time to urge people to turn away from sin and back to Christ who makes available the abundant life. And that's news that's worthy of getting excited about. Or certainly we should be excited about that. That something good has come into our world. Something that brings a positive change into our lives. And when something is big like that and incredible like that, you would think that it's something that's worthy of making a scene over. It's worthy of making a big deal about it. And that's kind of what John did. John is going to make a big deal about who he is and, and what his message is about and who his message is about. And so he's going to come. Listen, whenever you want to grab someone's attention, if you want to do it in a spectacular way, you're going to cause a scene. You're going to cause something that, that's going to grab everybody's attention, right? Well, think about John. John was a peculiar person, wasn't he? He was extraordinary when you just look at his his personhood think about a guy who was out in a wilderness he wears for a cloak or a coat something made of camel hair you ever touched a camel by the way or been around camel hair it's not the most fashionable thing in the world he put a leather belt that he'd gird himself about with his food was locust so when was the last time you guys went to some place and said, I'll have an order or a plate of locusts? Probably not. Some say it was a type of a, of a tree and a pod that comes off it, but I probably tend more to lean towards, and I've seen those by the way, but I kind of lean more towards the locust as in the bug. I think I remember seeing a cowboy show when the, when the guy had cooked up some grasshoppers and the guy says, we don't eat bugs. You know, well, so wild locusts, or locusts and wild honey. He is a peculiar person, and he has a message that he shares uh, with them. Look at what it says. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair, and a leather belt was around his waist, and his food was lo locusts and wild honey. Now, look at this next part, because it almost says, okay, so it's all to set up what's going to come next. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. What I'm saying to you is that people need to hear what he was going to say. And God chose to use a very peculiar, interesting man to get that message out that the kingdom is near, that they needed to repent of things. And they were listening. I mean, they were listening to what he had to say. They're leaving Jerusalem and going out into a wilderness. They're leaving Judea, those areas around the Jordan, and they're going out to listen to him. And not only are they listening to him, they're responding to his message, and they are repenting. 
So why are they going out to this man? Because he has a message about a kingdom. God has been silent for over 400 years. He said he would be. That there would be a famine in the land, not for food or for water, but for the word of God. So God has been talking for like 400 years, and all of a sudden John comes out, this peculiar man, with this incredible message to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and people are going out to them, and they're making changes in their lives. Sometimes when you want to grab someone's attention, you got to do something that is extreme, or you need to make a scene. That's what Don Lemon did. Don Lemon, CNN's Don Lemon, he made a shocking announcement on June the 15th this year. CNN anchor Don Lemon promised, changes are coming. During an unexpected end-of-the-show monologue Friday evening, he announced that after nearly seven-year run as host of CNN, tonight was coming to an end. It's been really, he said, it's been a really, really great uh, this is the last night that we'll be seeing in tonight with Don Lemon. I so appreciate the years of CNN tonight with Don Lemon, but changes are coming, and I will be filling you in. That was his message. It caught all of his staff off guard. They didn't know he was going to be making this huge announcement, and when he made that huge announcement, the blogosphere lit up. He set the internet on fire when he made this announcement because all the conservatives were saying, man, are we glad this guy is gone. They don't like Don Lemon. They were super happy. I was reading some of the blogs about all the things they were saying about away with Don Lemon, and they were excited. So I can guarantee you the next night they're going to tune in to see what Don Lemon had to say because, you see, Don Lemon had been going through since the 2020 election. His ratings were flagging. His ratings were like down in the tank. And so he had to do something, and so he made this announcement that his show would no longer be called Tonight with Don Lemon, but Don Lemon Tonight. <laughs> oh, man, you should have seen the blogs then. Man, were they ticked off because they thought this guy was gone, and all he did was just switch the name around a little bit to improve his ratings. And you know what? His ratings did go through the ceiling the next night. But they're back down to where they were now. But anyway, regardless of what you think about this guy, you know, he created a scene by making that announcement. He had all of his staff upset. CNN was wondering, what in the world is going on with this guy? And all he was doing was just changing up the name, of, kind of like a little bit of bait and switch kind of thing there going. John the Baptist wasn't about that. John the Baptist wasn't going to do any kind of bait or switching or anything like that. He had a, a message. And, and I think that same model is something that would fit well with us in the church today. I mean, do you believe that the good news of Jesus is something that people uh, should be willing to make a scene over? That it should be a big, do you think it's compelling enough to put yourself out there so that people might listen to what we have to say? Is the gospel of Christ worth getting uncomfortable over? Now, we might be shaking our heads and saying, yeah, that's true. But do our actions say that? Do the way that we live our lives and, and the way we talk about the king of kings and the kingdom, does it match up to that? Do our actions speak louder than our words? Because when it came to John the Baptist, uh, that guy was all over that. Talk is cheap and not uh, with, with him. Look at Matthew, the seventh chapter. 
uh, Matthew, the third chapter, if you would. And notice what he says here in verses 7 through 10, because, you know, John, he doesn't, he doesn't mince any words with these people here when they come to him. Remember all the Jerusalem and Judea and areas around the Jordan, they're going out to, uh, to John to listen to what he has to say. Look at verse, chapter 3, notice verses 7 and following. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The ax is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, everyone, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And let me tell you what, those guys took that personal. Notice what he says. He addresses the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he says, you brood of vipers. You know what a viper is? A viper is a poisonous snake. You bunch of poisonous snakes. That's who you are. And then he says to them, listen, you need to... You need to bring fruit that is good for repentance or proves that you are truly repenting. So why is he saying that? He, he knows something about them. What he knows about them is he knows that these guys are all, all show and no go. They're not about making any kind of changes. They are good to where they are. They've went out only to listen to John because they're worried about their power source. They're worried about their audience. They're worried about, you know, what their authority. And they're wondering, what is this guy talking about? And so if this possibly is a prophet, then maybe we need to line ourselves up with him. But there wasn't any repentance in there. And John calls them on it. You are a brood of viper. Who warns you to flee from the wrath of God? You need to bring forth fruit that is good towards re repentance. You need to make a change because faith is always about changing faith. When we talk about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven never leaves you the same. Once you enter into the kingdom and you start following after the king, you shouldn't be the same yesterday as you are today. There should be some movement going on because Jesus calls us to a different kind of life. He calls us to a holy life. He calls us to a redeemed life. He calls us to powerfully influence others around us and that our lives should be obvious to those who are around us. So John's proclamation is, uh, is, is, is that things are about to change. And so he says the ax is already laid at the root of the trees. In other words, the trees are getting ready to get cut down. And guess who those trees are? It's you guys. You guys better make a change. You better make a repent because things are going to change. The ax is already laid at the root and the nation is getting ready to come down in terms of Judaism. Most scholars say by 70 AD when Titus Vespasian surrounded Jerusalem, he eventually breaches the wall and completely brings down the temple that things changed forever and it did. The Lord could find what their tribes are, still can't today. They certainly have not built the temple. On the place that the temple was built dwells now a Muslim mosque, the Dome of the Rock that is there now. 
They can't identify who their priests are. I was asking the speech, so how do you guys follow the Mosaic commandments? How do you follow the Mosaic law? You guys can't even identify the, the blood lineage of Aaron. And so how do you identify who the high priest is? And how come you guys don't make animal sacrifices to God and libation sacrifices to God? And, and on and on I went. And all he had to say was, well, I don't know. We have synagogues and we have, and we have uh, rabbis. I said, where's the scripture talking about that stuff? Where does a rabbi take the place of a high priest? Well, anyway, things were getting ready to change, and that's what John is talking to them about. You guys need to know things are getting ready to change. And don't say that you can just lay on your heritage and say, well, we're Abraham's, you know, we're of, of, of the lineage of Abraham. And he says, don't lay back on that thing there. He was faithful to God. You guys are not. God can raise up from these stones in the wilderness children to Abraham. But you guys aren't it, so you can't lay on that. You need to be making a change. Why? Because the king is coming, and when he comes, he's going to bring a king unlike any kingdom you have ever seen in this world. Look at the change that he was talking about, verses 11 and 12. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. I hit my little thingy, didn't I? I'm fast with this thing, though. How come someone didn't say something when I was doing that? Like, hey, Richard, you just... There we go. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will... will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into barns or into the barn but he will burn up the chaff in unquenchable fire it, there's an announcement and the announcement is the king is coming there's a sense of eternal importance that is is here it's an announcement about repentance it's about the arrival of a kingdom about a very real king who came for our very real people who establishes a very real kingdom. It's an announcement that change is coming. A change that would change John the Baptist. A change that would change the Pharisees and the Sadducees. A change for the Romans. A change for a Jerusalem and the Jews. A change that continues even to this day. How big is this change? Well, it's a huge change up in Caesarea Caesarea Philippi Jesus is speaking to his apostles and he asks them this question he says to them who do people say the son of man is and they say well some say you're John the Baptist or Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets he said to them but who do you men say I am you've been with me for three years who do you say that I am and they're all kind of quiet and Peter finally says you are the Christ you're the Messiah, the son of a living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now look at his next word, and he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I will build my church. It's synonymous with the kingdom. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. What does the key do? A key opens up doors, right? And so on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches that first gospel sermon. In Acts 2, as you read down through it, it says that he will take a descendant of David and he will place him on his throne and he will reign forever. And then he goes on to talk about this king who is killed. They kill the king. But God raises him up and seats him at his right side. The people knew what had happened. They knew that they had killed the king. Imagine this for just a moment. A king sacrificing and dying for his kingdom, for the citizens. He dies. And, and Peter tells them this here, and it says that they were pricked in their hearts, and they said to the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know what happened? 3,000 souls repented and were baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And they walked through the door and into the kingdom or the church. In fact, it says in verse 41 there that God added them to their number. They're added to the church. You can't join the church. God can add you when you're in obedience to the king, follow his commands. So as I close, here's the question that I have here. Are you truly seeking first the kingdom of God? Jesus said over in, John, or over in Matthew, the sixth chapter, in verse 33, he says, seek first, not second, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things that I've talked about will be added to you. Or if you're not a citizen yet, are you part of the kingdom? Have you, did, have you, have you obeyed like those on the day of Pentecost did? Were you baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If not, you need to do that this morning. The urgency of the kingdom is so important. Jesus is coming again. We don't know when. One thing I do know is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he truly is the king. Your response is yours as we think about the announcement of the king in your life. While together we stand and while we sing, would you come?